hello, and you're all very welcome to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature, and wellness. And today we have a fabulous returning guest to talk about zero waste, and we get into subjects like the environment and solutions to the climate crisis or climate chaos that we're dealing with, as Jack O'Sullivan likes to say. And we have had him in once already. This is the second part of that show. And without further ado, Jack O'Sullivan from ZWAI.ie. Well, Shane and Christy, the word I use a lot is climate chaos. That's, yeah. that's, that yeah, that, that's pretty change. accurate. Climate is changing, but it's changing in a way that's chaotic. And the important point, which I think some mm. of the climate deniers latch on to or, or will ignore, is the speed of change. You can look back mm. 50, 60 uh, million years, you can look back several hundred million years. There were times the earth was warmer, there were times the earth was cooler. But those changes might have taken, say, a million or two million or a million years yeah. to happen. We are causing that degree of change to happen in probably 50 or 100 years. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, the, the estimate for the ice age was that, like, the ice crept about a foot a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that, that to, to cover half the earth in ice. That's yeah. you know, a couple of thousand years. <laughs> we did have a big freeze back. If I could remember my geology, there was certainly a period millions of years ago when the earth was almost frigid. Mm. And there was periods in the, when you think about but, when all those seams of coal and oil yeah. were laid down, the Carboniferous period, the earth was very yeah. warm. But the earth has a very clever way of getting rid of all that carbon. It's when a natural you, balance, like it, it was. The Earth has a, an amazing ability. If we didn't interfere with it to balance itself, and I'll tell you who mm-hmm. brings that out very, very well. John, what's his name? The Gaia hypothesis, that independence. Oh, uh, James Lovelock. Yep, James Lovelock. Now I, I think he's tremendous. He has shown that the Earth behaves, as he said, like a homeostatic system. Mm. It's like the temperature in your body. You it, you have an internal system that keeps you from getting too hot or too cold. Yeah. And the earth behaves like that, where it does fluctuate, but very, very slowly. And human beings have lived and evolved at a time when the earth's temperature was reasonably constant. Mm. And we're now pushing it back or pushing it forward to a much, much warmer planet, which will will survive okay, but maybe a hundred million uh, refugees, maybe several billion people will die because there won't be food. Places where food could be grown, it can no longer be grown. We have to develop new forms of agriculture. But better mm-hmm. still, we have to try and stop doing the things which are causing climate change. Yeah. And that means stopping burning fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we're, um, we're kind of on the way to that, but it's, 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 a, it's too it's slow. Yeah. It's too slow, and ma- in many countries, the, the curve is not going downwards. It's still either constant or even increasing. Hmm. If you look at Ireland. You, you, do you remember the lockdown, the COVID-19 lockdown in 2020, 2021? Yeah. Roads got a little bit freer. Now you drive into Mullingar, which is my local town, and there's a traffic jam. It's unbelievable. Yeah, And you drive up to Dublin and the M3 and the M4, are crammed with cars. And I believe I read in The Guardian the other day that there's protests in Britain about a 29 billion English pound, 29 billion English pound 
plan to build even more roads there? Do they not know climate change is coming? Well, what we should be doing is getting people out of um, cars onto fast, reliable, quick public transport. Mm-hmm. And that that's easy yeah. to Jack, do. That goes back to the, the question of infrastru- infrastructure, I think, has been really neglected yeah. in this mm-hmm. country. And like whether it's the health system or public transport, it, there's, there's been mega neglect as far as um, investing in, in, in infrastructure. I mean, we don't even have enough skills or doctors right now. That's so right, Shane. And it, it's, it's awful, really. Um, it seems, well, again, I can point very clearly to what happened in about the 1980s. There was a kind of an idea. I wouldn't call it a philosophy. It doesn't merit the name of philosophy. It's an ideology. <laughs> and it seemed to come largely from the United States and the Chicago School of Economics and Harvard and Yale and, and their universities. And it was pushed hard by Reagan and by Thatcher. And the idea was that governments should do as little as possible. Uh, slim down govern, government. Yeah, privatization, Jack, really, wasn't that what Thatcher, is, that was That was what? It's a burden, yeah, it's privatization. It's a burden on industry. If you didn't have government regulations, industry could function more effectively. If you didn't even have workers, the government, yeah. <laughs> industry could be more profitable. So the important thing became deliver the uh, more money to the shareholders. And of course, that led to the global financial collapse. Mm-hmm. It also led to light regulation, as it's called. It also led to countries um, really not doing enough about their infrastructure. So health services became privatized. Hospitals were sold off. What do we do in Ireland? Oh, we 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 took it on full full blast. Yeah. We sold off our oil refinery. We sold off our um, sugar factories, and that's a sad one. We, we try to sell off everything. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the government at one stage tried to sell off the, the uh, Quilcha, the National Forest yeah, Service? Yeah, yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. But the, they still have that idea. There are people in government, in the public service, senior people, maybe not the same age as I am, but they should be long since retired. I should be yeah. long since retired. <laughs> nah, you've no, still got still lots of work to do, though, isn't it? That's oh, the, I know. Yeah. If I can tell you, for example, about the sugar system, in the 1930s or 40s, I wish I could remember, um, the government at the time decided that we needed to stop importing sugar. And we can develop our own sugar industry because we have stuff called sugar beet. It grows very, very well in Ireland. So, Kolos Sugar Eiren Chorinta was established. Um, three factories were built. Within about half a year, we were self-sufficient in sugar. Within a year, we were exporting sugar. And not only that, but the company at that time now, they weren't into making loads of money. This was, a, this was what companies are now supposed to do, grab money, no matter what you do. This company was more, had a, at that time, pre-Thatcher, pre-Regan, more of a service orientation. So they did some research. They found out the varieties of sugar beet that, did, that was very good for Ireland. They also found out certain kinds of soil was good and certain kinds was bad. And they discovered that lime was a very good thing to do. So instead of saying to the farmers, go buy lime, they opened up lime quarries. 
and the farmer got back lime after delivering his sugar beet. And when the sugar beet was processed into sugar, there was a fibrous material left over, which is then brought back to the farms to feed cattle. And a lot of the sugar beet went by train as well. So it worked very, very well. And we could export sugar. Mm. So it gave employment. And now they were not great at cleaning up the environment. That wasn't important in the 1960s and 70s. But then under the influence of this stupid privatize everything, it was sold off. And I remember at the time being doing some work for uh, a group of people down in Wexford. And it so happened I was staying with a farmer. He was a former sugar beet farmer. And he, I had read in the paper that the sugar beet um, plant at Carlo was very profitable. And it was going to be closed down. So I said, why, are you, why is this company? Because the company was sold out, no longer Colac Chukrairn. It was a management buyout. The five directors of Colac Chukrairn bought it. And he said, look where the factory is located. We got out a map right on the edge of a town. He said, that site is worth hundreds of millions for shopping centers, for factories, for offices, for anything. Then it tumbles to me what was happening. Those guys closed down the factory and made millions. They probably divided up 300 million between the five of them, selling off the site. And who suffered? The farmers. And what's more, to make matters even more worse, at that time, Ireland was, uh, Europe was producing a lot of sugar. And the European Commission said, well, any country that wants to slow down or, or stop producing as much sugar, we'll, we'll pay the farmers something. But they used the word producers. Right. The company, that time it was called um, Green Corps, said, hang on, we're the producers, not the farmers. So they got the money from the European Commission. And the farmers who are now had no crop got nothing. That's Since scandalous. that time, there's, well, look, they, they defrauded the farmers. That's exactly the word, Jack. Defrauding is like, that is pretty much it, isn't it? Actually, here in Ireland, I won't name him. Uh, he owns two of the, of the foremost hospitals in Ireland, and he defrauded the government twice. Hmm. And, the, and the fraudulent activity was proven as a result of the beef tribunal. So there's actually a thing in India at the moment where they're doing a very similar thing. Like the government had like, set prices for the farmers that you yeah. sell it through their wholesaler and, you know, yeah. making a fair price for the farmer so they didn't mm-hmm. have to do, you know, work too hard to make a living. Mm-hmm. But they're closing that down eventually and they're replacing it with, like, independent wholesalers. You know, yeah, this is just, a problem. It's, it's this kind of ethic or, 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 or kind of ideology yeah. that's literally... It's spread worldwide. It yeah. profits the people who have lots and lots of money. It profits those who can exploit others. It doesn't you, profit you mean, more. You mean the rich get richer? Of course. You've seen it. The average of Americans' worker hasn't pay, has not improved in terms of his or her purchasing power since the 1970s. Yeah. And the average American worker, the boss might have earned maybe 20, 30 times as much as the average worker. Mm-hmm. Now the boss in the United States earns thousands of times more than the average worker. It's kind of, yeah. it's like, it, that's, it's like they see that as a measure of success is like, yeah. uh, how much better can I do than somebody else? Of yeah. course they do, because it profits them to see it that way. Yeah. Ah, and it's, it's then by, by putting out the idea 
that success means grabbing more money. I don't use the term making money because mm. making money is only available to banks or counterfeiters. Yeah. How the wealthy yeah. get very wealthy is by taking money from other people. Now, you can do it quite nicely. If I'm a news agent in a shop and I sell stuff at a reasonable price, I'm taking money from other people, but I'm not exploiting them. No, and you're providing... I happen to have the one of the few, um, very few, let's say, again, mobile phone services in Ireland, and uh, they have to, or say I, for example, I, I supply water. You think of England now rather than Ireland. Hmm. If I supply water and England divided up its water supply to private companies because they can be competitive. Yeah. But if I'm living in Yorkshire, I can't get the, my water from the southeast of England. I have to buy it from the, the, the water supply company that supplies me. A, cap, a captive audience, you know? Captive. Yeah, and it's not efficient either, like to be, like you're it's adding not, on, you know, a lot of, of unnecessary effort. Well, there's this kind of crazy idea that, that uh, competition means efficiency. Unfortunately, it's been proven time and time again, particularly by a number of Nobel Prize winning economists, mm. it doesn't mean so. The greatest competition, that was the most stupid one, I think one I ever saw was, Standing in Mullingar railway station one morning at around half past eight, I must have been early for the train, and the bus was standing by there. Now, if you live in any of the small towns around the bigger town of Mullingar, there's no little bus service brings you into Mullingar. No, that doesn't happen. But there's a bus standing at the station at half past eight or eight o'clock brings you to Dublin. But the bus is always empty because who wants to go on a bus which takes more than two hours when you can get on the train for an hour, which will take you to Dublin in an hour and 10 minutes. Mm. So the bus driver was there leaning up against the wall, taking a breath of fresh air. So I said, typical, how are you? What nice day, Grant. I said, um, you're, you're going to Dublin. Ah, yeah, I've been heading off to Dublin now very soon. So I said, isn't it a great pity there wouldn't be lots of buses bringing people from towns like Castle Pollard and Kinnegal and Multifarnham in to meet the train. Ah, no, he said, we have to have the competition. Mm. He had to compete with the train, even if it meant his bus was empty. There yeah. might be one person in it and the train would be packed. That's the competition. Wow. So it is absolutely stupid. And another form of mm. competition which has been... Uh, uh, described in, in, a, in a government report as, as actually not working very well is coming back to waste. Um, if I'm living in a housing estate in Dublin, let's say I can go to A1 waste or Malidi's waste or this waste or that waste, and they will come and collect my bin. Okay. But you look at the housing estate, and on Thursdays it's one waste uh, a lorry comes along. On Friday, another waste lorry comes along to lift 20 or 30 or 40 bins. The following Monday, a different company comes along. So all these lorries are basically servicing their customers. It's not cheaper. They all no. charge the same. Yeah. But you have all these. And I, the other day, it was very funny. I saw um, two waste lorries passing each other, one going one way, one the other way. Leapfrogging along. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it's... It's, it, it's uh, I don't know. And yeah. we, this government report said the Irish government has lost control of waste. We've handed it over entirely to the private industry. This is one of the reasons why we were bottom of the league as far as recycling is concerned. Mm. Because if I'm running a waste company, what I want to do, I want to get as much as possible 
and give it to a, um, a cement plant right. or bury it in the ground. Recycling is expensive. Yeah. And it's even more expensive in Ireland where we don't, where we don't um, uh, sort our waste at home. And, we and put Jack, everything in a big bin called recyclables. Yeah. Jack, while we're on that, that topic of recycling, it's, it's been in the news now last week that uh, the EPA made an announcement that uh, 70% of Irish plastic is incinerated. And that announcement came the day after we were in the news. We were like, oh, aren't we so great? We're, we're, now we're going rec- to take soft plastics and we're going to recycle it. But still yeah. 70% of it is being incinerated. I would agree with that. It ends up being burned. And another thing I always uh, find crazy is you look at the statistics that says 70% of our paper is recycled. So I say, where's the paper mill? We don't have one. No, we, ship, <laughs> we ship it out and get it back. It put loads we ship of miles it out it. or we burn it. Hmm. And I'd say 70%, 80% of our paper is burned. I worked uh, as a consultant. I did a nice small consultancy job for the last paper mill in Ireland, Smurfit Paper Mills in Tronsky in Dublin. Yeah. They're a nice crowd. Because to do this work, I had to go and visit the factory and talk to people. It was really lovely. I liked chatting to the men on the ground and seeing the machines working. They were taking 35,000 tons a year. Now, that's not much, but still it was something of waste paper, cardboard, cardboard cartons, those packing cases you, you buy stuff in. It was all going into a big mixer. Uh, churned up with water like a food processor, except yeah. it was many, many times bigger. All of the stuff that you couldn't make paper from, like bits of plastic and paper clips and all that stuff was extracted by centrifuging, quite yeah. simply, very little chemicals added. It was then emerged as like a brownish liquid containing all the paper fibers. It went through a series of machines and rollers and emerged as a huge three meter wide roll of brown paper. And that roll was rolling itself up as fast as you could imagine. And it was all dry and shiny, ready for making into more cardboard cartons for packing meat or butter or whatever we wanted to to export. Now we have to import all those cardboard cartons we need. They're all made in other countries. We don't have any uh, carton or box manufacturing facilities. No. And all our papers are burned or dumped. Mad. Yeah, what it kind of highlights is that our priorities are not really straight as far as infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. And, and for example, what, we, what Zero Waste Alliance Ireland said a long time ago, going back now to about 2003, 2004, was why don't we put a tax on anything which is made from uh, virgin raw materials. So if I'm importing paper that's made from trees, I may might pay, say, uh, 23% VAT. If I'm making paper from waste paper, 5% VAT. Or if I'm importing TV sets (coughs) or washing machines, which can't be repaired and have to be junked at the end of their life cycle, 25% VAT. If I'm importing TV sets or washing machines or anything which is repairable and can be repaired uh, or can be uh, taken, what do they call it, um, taken down into their parts, yeah. um, 5% that. So that kind of financial or tax system is easy to work. We do it all the time. With petrol, there was a time in the 1980s 
when um, Ireland was being forced by the European Union to um, get rid of leaded petrol. Yeah. Lead in petrol was proving very, very harmful um, as we were breathing lead, particularly in city centres. Being a heavy metal and all like, you know. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And so the excise duty on leaded petrol was higher than the excise duty on unleaded petrol. So people changed over to unleaded petrol much more quickly. Mm -hmm. But what surprised me at the time was very interesting. SIMI, the Society of the Irish Motor Industry, fought that very, very strongly. They really put up arguments against it. And I thought... Uh, they, were, they were like, engines will break down much more regularly and blah, 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 you know? It could be, Chris, but I thought mm-hmm. their, their attitude was this. We don't want any regulation. If the yeah. government brings in a regulation, we'll fight it. Even though I was thinking to myself, now, if my old engine needs lead, leaded petrol and leaded petrol is being phased out, I'm more likely to buy a new car. Yeah. So, the, so bringing in unleaded petrol will surely benefit car dealers because people are going to change over their cars. But what was more important to them was not selling more cars, but resisting the idea of any regulation where government would have any impact on their mm. business. That's what's more important. There's quite a lot of lobbying that goes on as well from from some of these uh, groups. Oh, and stuff, the yeah. lobbying by the cement industry is unbelievable. It's the yeah. only industry I know in Ireland where a director of cement, Roadstone Holdings, ran a private bank from the office of CRH in Dublin. Well, Jack, you know what they say, follow the money, isn't it? That, isn't that what they say? <laughs> well, that, that was around Hoy's time when... Oh. <laughs> You went in, if, you, if you'd sold a house for 100,000 cash and you didn't want the tax man to know, you brought it into, I think his name was Paddy Trainer, who was a great friend of Hoy's. There was a wonderful program recently on TV again about that. And he would have a runner bring it down to Guinness and Mahon Bank in Dame Street. And then it was lent, sent out, so with inverted commas around it, to uh, the Cayman Islands, to Ansbacher Bank. In fact, it physically remained in Ireland, even though, according to the account book, it was out in the Cayman Islands. So now you suddenly found that you had come across a lovely house that was being sold because the old lady who lived in it had died and you'd get this for 75,000 cash and you could make a big profit on it. So you went down to a Paddy Trainer, and Trainer was his second name. I'm not sure of his first name. And you got your cash back into your hand again. And you went to the executor's solicitor and you bought the house for cash. No tax again either, all under the counter. And then you sold it then for 200,000 and you made even, made, not made, you grabbed even more money. So that was, if you like, one of the, the uh, key signs of the kind of Ireland we were becoming, mm. where the wealthy had access to private banking. And the banks, I think, became corrupted around that time, too, because since the 1980s, 90s, every single one of the major banks in Ireland has been discovered to be fraudulently taking money from its customers. Really? Wow, using different methods. We'll have to get most into that, actually. Most of them got found out and they had to pay a fine, maybe several million mm-hmm. fine. But there's a culture within the banks that if you can figure out a way of getting more money from your customers, 
the guy on top will say, go ahead, Sean, and we look after you if it works. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work out, we'll kind of look after you as well if, it, if we get found out. Wow. Mm-hmm. So in a way, they're, they're acting like kind of criminals. What can we take? <laughs> well, it, it reminds me a little bit about, um, you know, the, uh, when our mobile phone uh, rates here were way, way, way above the mm. Irish um, or the European, uh, European average. Yeah. And it, but the guys running the companies essentially kind of knew, well, we're on borrowed time. Let's milk it while we can. They knew the regulations were coming, but they're like, yeah. no, we got to kind of milk this while we've got the opportunity. Like, and it was a calculated thing. Like it's, Oh, it is a calculated thing. And they have very clever people doing that kind of work, uh, knowing, and they must know, that they're defrauding the public. Yeah. But they know it because they're well paid for it. And they know if they don't do it, they won't get promoted. Mm. Or they might even end up being kicked out. Mm. If the boss says, now I want you to think of a scheme that's going to get a little bit more money uh, from people with mortgages, how can we sort of, you know, figure it out a little bit? Go away and do some thinking. If your man doesn't do that thinking, he's going to be, the boss is going to say, well, no, Sean, nothing happened. We were, we were going to figure out a scheme that would get us a few million, a few tens of millions every year. Um, well, you know, that doesn't, won't look good now for your, when I'm promoting the next group of people. Well, that's so it, it goes back to that point about the measure of success is kind of not in the yeah. wrong. We're not really focusing on what, what, what it is like real success is when I think we all benefit, not when just one person or a, or well, a group benefits. It should be to, to the so benefit of everyone. That's Jane. That's absolutely 100% true. We're measuring, we're measuring things wrongly. We're measuring a country by its GNP or its GDP. Yeah. Even if half, even if three quarters of the people are in, insanely unhappy, mm. so we wrong measures all the time. And we, and what's more, is we we look up to people who grabbed a pile of money. I remember at one of our presidential elections. Thank God we have Michael D, who's an absolute superb man. He was a wonderful a ambassador for the country. He is, and his speeches are never uh, reported widely in the newspapers at all, and they're very, very good. But we had one man who was a self-made businessman, and people said, "Oh, he did a lot. He's great. Look how he look how he managed this company and built it up. We'll make him a president." And I thought, "Oh no! All he will do is use his skills to find ways of lining his pockets or." Uh, increasing his bank account or helping his friends who would have even bigger bank accounts. Hmm. We'd use the, you're right, we use the wrong criteria for judging people. But that means a big change also in our way of thinking. Hmm. We should stop admiring the wealthy. We should stop admiring those who exploit others. Um, Especially when we can see the, the amount of injustice going on around the world. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of injustice and the difficulty with climate change too is it's unjust in that the people who are going to suffer the most from climate change will be groups of people around the world who've done least to bring about this climate yeah. change which we're now affect which is now affecting us all. That's it. Zero waste back to that change. Yeah. <laughs> well, zero waste alliance Ireland we're we're doing our best as a charity to make people more aware that we don't even use the word waste sometimes. We say discarded stuff. If I'm discarding stuff I don't want, it's not actually waste until I mix it all together. Simple as that. 
If I have potato peelings and vegetable choppings, that's useful to compost. Yeah. If I'm in a if I'm in a, a big apartment block, why shouldn't there be a guy, a man or a woman, maybe semi-retired, paid a little bit of money by the state to come around and collect that for me and put it into a communal garden attached to the yeah. apartment block? Where some people might um start growing some vegetables yeah. for the apartment block. I mean, there's a group. There's a group that does that. Um, I can't remember what their name is, though. It's like the Urban Farmers, or yeah, uh, there is. That's right. But that should be much. But they're literally one or two. We should have that all around Ireland. Mm. Then, as well as that, let's say, for example, we take. I buy a bottle of Fanta or Coke or water. It gets thrown into my bin. It then gets with all the kind of rubbish that goes into my recyclable bin. Yeah. It then um, ends up in the compactor vehicle that goes around the, in, the housing estate collecting mm-hmm. the stuff. It gets dirty. It then gets tipped out on the floor of a, of a materials recovery center, as they call it. And it then ends up as chopped up bits of plastic in an incinerator. But here's the interesting thing. We have a couple of companies in Ireland that take those PET bottles, polyethylene tetraphthalate, and they recycle them. One of them is Wellman International in County Meath. And I remember being at a talk given by a number of people on recycling, and one of the guys talking was a man from Wellman International. And he explained how they use these bottles. They spin it out. They spin the plastic into very fine filaments, yeah, they kind of shred it down to a monofilament, like yeah, a monofilament. Yeah, and somebody said, um, "You must get a lot of bottles in Ireland." Oh no, he said, "We cannot use any of the Irish bottles; they're dirty. You're spinning it out into a fine filament. Your machinery has to, the stuff has to be absolutely clean. We bring in the empty bottles from Germany and the Netherlands." And that's because we don't simply have a very simple system, which countries like Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Austria have been going since about 2020, since the year 2000. And Lithuania started in 2018, and we call it um, reverse vending. Yeah. So you go in. You, you put a. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we've been researching it in Zero Waste Alliance Ireland, and we, we press, pressurized it along, we, we pushed it a long time ago. Mm. Basically, when you go in, it has to be done on a national basis. Yeah. And in fact, we, we argue it has to be done on an all-Ireland basis because we are a small country, and to have two different jurisdictions doesn't make sense. But anyway, um, what you do basically is, when you go to buy your bottle of Fanta or Coke or orange juice, whatever, you pay an extra five cents or whatever it is. Could be five cents, could be 10 cents. Like on the light bulbs and things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In the shop or outside the shop or on the street where there may be a number of small shops, mm. there's a machine and you put your clean bottle back into the machine and out pops five cents or 10 cents or a voucher for that amount, which you can then... That's what Lidl are doing, isn't it? They're doing like they a... They started in one shop in Dublin for the first time ever. It should have been going nationally. Now, Absolutely, one, Jack. We're way behind. Like Germany has been doing that for a long time. 20 years behind. Yeah. There's one company, one not company, one group of people in Carrickmacross, Carrickmacross Tidy Towns. They um, bought and implemented a reverse vending machine a couple of years ago. Hmm. And 
we had a chat to them at one stage and they said, we got no help or interest from government. No support whatsoever. We did get support from Shabra Plastics. They take the empty bottles. We got support from, I think it was Super Value. The, in, into that shop went the, 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 the reverse vending machine. And I think they got support maybe from the county council or somebody. But they managed to get it going until COVID-19 kind of put a stop to it. Right. But it's such a simple system. And in Lithuania, it was introduced about two, two and a half years ago. Within six months, there wasn't a plastic bottle on the streets. That's incredible. People just put them into the machine and they got their five cents. Well, what a great incentive to, to, for people not to litter. But yeah. don't forget, in Ireland, we have a crowd called Repack, which is an industry-sponsored group, which is supposed to be called the packaging industry uh, and supposed to be all for recycling. It doesn't. The men in Repack are not interested in recycling. We've had um, a waste forum in Ireland, and one of my colleagues in Zero Waste Alliance Ireland used to attend that. And he said the Repack people attending that government waste forum are not interested in recycling. And so they always find reasons why recycling should not be done. Well, Jack, it reminds me to cut across you, but it's very similar of the story in the news now with Apple, who the figure has come out now with the with the um, the right to repair news that um, for uh, and Apple are not happy about this at all that and uh, that the EU are going to step in now and say no. We can't, we can't be having all these million different types of cables and different mm. chargers. We need to standardise this thing. And they were talking about this a long a long sure. while back. Yeah. And Apple kind of, their their argument, uh, when was it, Chris? Uh, 2007? I think it was 2009. They all signed the agreement to start doing stuff, wasn't it? Well, no. Wasn't it that they acknowledged that it yeah, was a problem? Yeah, they didn't really yeah, agree yeah. to do anything about it. But um, their argument was was no, that will actually cause more waste. But I don't really see how that would happen when it's gone when this 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 fix that they're going to do is going to potentially save us a quarter of a billion a year, two hundred and fifty million a year. No, basically, if you look at what a lot of these uh, people who are trying to resist progress do, it's a standard kind of a of a strategy. Hmm is they exaggerate the amount of money that something good will cost. Repack, for example, stated about a year ago, I think it was a year ago, that introducing reverse vending machines in Ireland would cost 150 million or 250 million. Now, Lithuania introduced them at very little cost. So how is it Lithuania can do it? which is a country smaller than Ireland with a population of less than 3 million, whereas we have 6.4 million. Wow, that was great. Oh, that was, I love listening to Jack. So you learned so much listening to Jack. And, you know, they're actually looking for volunteers over there at zwai.ie. So if there's anybody out there who thinks they have some skills that they know will be useful um, in the effort to solve the climate chaos and climate crisis that we're going through, I highly recommend that you go over to zwai.ie and give Jack O'Sullivan or Orla Kooten a shout and let them know how you're able to help. We will have Jack back again, uh, more than likely before the year is out. And thanks again to everybody out there in Zero Waste 
Alliance Ireland. We really big fans of the work that you're doing and it's absolutely fabulous to see us getting some real traction now. So guys as well, remember, please head over to, if you're not already on Spreaker and if you're not already signed up, please sign up guys. We really need your support over there, okay? Things are really starting to kind of grow a lot and we really need that support. So if you could follow us on Spreaker, you will get a notification every time a show goes out. So that's it for now, guys, and happy weekend and all the best. 